This episode is hosted by Jordi Mon Companies. Check out the show notes to follow him on Twitter. Hi Dan, uh, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, so the software supply chains attacks have been on the rise. Uh, software development entropy and complexity has increased, uh, making the so-called supply chains of its packages and binaries extremely difficult to map in the first place, but then to analyze and then com- uh, consume with peace of mind. Uh, there are a few initiatives in the cloud native community that are trying to tackle this. Uh, I'm thinking of Six Store. I, I never pronounced it correctly. Is it Six 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 Store? Six Store. S bombs and more. Chainguard, the company that uh, Dan founded among with other people, uh, seems to be tackling a large proportion of this huge, humongous problem. You've released a new Linux distro. We'll get into the weeds of that, but was that necessary in the first place? Another another Linux distro. Um, I think it was. Uh, you know, we call it an undistro. There's a couple yeah. of different kind of caveats there, but I think it was necessary. For what reason? So, what what, what is Wolfie? Uh, it's an undistro. There's a couple of items in the description of Wolfie that are kind of difficult to comprehend. So, one is one is the undistro bit, and then the distro less. So, let's dive into what Wolfie is and what why was it necessary to uh, uh, deliver that? Sure. Yeah, so starting with kind of the, the name, the undistro kind of concept there, um, we're at KubeCon. Um, containers are kind of all the rage now. Uh, when you install a Linux distro inside of a container, a traditional one, you get a whole bunch of packages, you get user space, you get package managers, you get your application. But most notably, you don't get the kernel. Um, the way containers work is that you share the same kernel from the underlying host. So Debian goes through all this work, Ubuntu goes through all this work to package a kernel and test that kernel against everything. And when you put it inside of a container, you rip out that kernel and use some other kernel. Um, so a typical Linux distribution is a kernel, that's the Linux part, and then all these other programs. Our distro is designed just for the inside of containers, so there's actually no Linux inside of it. So it's kind of inaccurate to call it a Linux mm-hmm. distro, since mm-hmm. we're not distributing Linux, we're distributing everything but Linux. So you could call it an un-Linux distro or a Linux undistro or something like that. But, um, it, it is somewhat necessary for accuracy there. Plus, it drives people crazy to have an undistro, so that always helps. <laughs> so that was a purpose, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm sure the marketing person is really happy with that. So let me go through four actual reasons that you give in, in the website about why Wolfie was necessary. So container images tend to lag behind in upstream updates. You didn't mention that, but it's kind of true, right? Uh, resulting in users running images that uh, with known vulnerabilities, right? And refuse to update or whatever. I mean, it's it's not easy. The common distributions used in container images are also lag behind upstream versions, uh, resulting in users installing packages manage, uh, manually or outside of the package managers, um, which is risky uh, in itself. Container images typically contain more software. You were mentioning that you are removing uh, the kernel, but other bits also, which by the way, reminded me, and this is probably adding more confusing to the mix, but hopefully people will, uh, you know, get a clear idea of what Wolf is and Sixstore and ChainGuard's portfolio in general. But it reminded me of uh, um, unikernels. Is it, did you, are you familiar with the concept of unikernels as sort of like slimming down the whole stack from literally the drivers to uh, the, the highest level of the, um, of, the, of the stack, yeah? Is it in any way related? I know you just removed the kernel, but is, is the same, are you achieving, are you trying to achieve the same goal or not? Um, not, not quite, I would say. You know, unikernels are common, or not, not, not common, but uh, commonly talked about anyway in the space of uh, compiling an application down to run on bare metal. 
Um, they haven't really seen too much mainstream adoption recently. Yeah. I think a lot of the concepts, though, do carry forward to kind of like the WASM or WebAssembly mm -hmm. world of compiling everything down to one binary and then figuring out how to run that later. But I think the shift to cloud providers and hypervisors and multiple layers of that kind of makes unikernels confusing. They don't yeah. quite fit in there. It's, there's multiple levels underneath the stack and just what you know about. So then... How does Wolfie solve for this problem that I just described very succinctly? Um, yeah, how, how does how does it actually solve the, uh, one of yeah these problems? Sure. Yeah, there's a couple of different problems in supply chain security all rolled into one, which make the space kind of complex. And normally, big problems you can break apart and start to tackle kind of piece by piece. But a lot of these problems are somewhat intertwined, and you know you can't patch vulnerabilities if you don't know what software is in there. You don't even know which vulnerabilities are in that. The databases are noisy. There's a whole bunch of different hops, which you were kind of alluding to. Um, and then you can't trust any of the systems that do these builds, and you don't actually have confidence in what you're running. Uh, and at some point, the only real way to solve all of those together is to kind of go down to the lowest layer here. And when you're talking containers and cloud-native world, that lowest layer is the, the very base, base, base Docker image mm. that you pull in. That's the first thing a developer grabs. Are you not limiting by, because you've been moving the package manager too, right? Although there's a APKO thing there that we'll, we'll describe in a minute, but are, are you, by removing the package manager and other things from the, from the basic image that anyone can install with Wolfie, um, are you not constraining too much the developer? Or is that, you don't think so, and it, that's on purpose? Yeah. It's a different model, I would say. Because an extension of my question would be, won't developers go rogue like they always do and install a package manager or try to you know, do, find their way to install whatever they need? Yeah, we're, we're trying to make it very, very easy to create and maintain and keep up to date and keep secure a large number of small images. Um, today, there's a lot of friction associated with an image. Um, folks usually only have a couple, and there's a lot of work to patch them and scan them and rebuild them and redeploy them and just keep track of all of them. And one of the, the kind of ways I look at this problem is you know, Kubernetes has made it very, very easy to treat containers as kind of cattle. That's kind of that, that whole pets versus cattle yes. analogy. You have thousands of containers. You don't know what they're called. You're not naming your microservices and pods and instances. You just scale them up and down. But images are still kind of these pets where when you create one, you have to water it and take it out and walk it and clean up after it when it you know, has an accident on, on the sidewalk or something like that. Name and it. So, yeah, exactly. And developers have to do all that every time they create one. Yeah. So instead, they try to create fewer of them and put more stuff in them. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to shift that tooling around. So if you need a new container with these three things, cool. One, one YAML file with three lines in it, one for each package, and now you can get and maintain easily and manage and upkeep a whole uh, hundreds of smaller containers. And if we do that right, then it's actually going to be better for developers and easier for them. Yeah. And they're not going to be fighting against package managers and installing extra software. Um, you, you, you've explained already the concept of on distro. But not the distro list. There was a mention to distro list, which I think relates to a project from Google that you probably were involved in the past. Yeah, so distro list was kind of one of the first attempts at this kind of concept of removing stuff that you don't need from containers. It was a project myself and my co-founder Matt started at Google um, experimenting with the Bazel build system. Um, the Bazel build system is also this kind of big, declarative, powerful build system that lets you declare dependencies and stitch stuff up on the fly. We did a bunch of work to build. I'm actually, by the way, planning to be at BaselConf uh, in New York in November, oh, likely. Cool. So hopefully, fingers crossed. 
Um, yeah, so this was a, a bunch of rules for building containers with Bazel. And the same way, you could just kind of create a small Bazel build file saying you only need these three packages and oh. write all these rules to understand Debian packages and unpack them and build containers just directly with Bazel. And we did that, and it was the same kind of concept of you don't need a package manager anymore because you can just install everything you need with Bazel from the outside. It was kind of set up as a side project, just a, an experiment, really. And then adoption, people found it on GitHub and just started using this everywhere. And then a couple years later, the Kubernetes release team found it, and they were getting constant complaints about all the vulnerabilities sitting around in the Kubernetes mm -hmm. images. And so they switched everything over to using that without telling us, so it was a little bit scary. And they said, oh, wow, this is now a load-bearing part of the internet <laughs> side project, um, which happened kind of by accident. But uh, yeah, we started working on that. And then um, this is where some of the kind of having to go even lower with Wolfie came up. But okay. you know, DistroList was another kind of just buzzwordy name to get people upset because it's not DistroList. There is a distro. In that case, it was Debian. We just deleted all the parts you didn't need. I'm spotting a trend here of annoying your your own clients, maybe. So let's yeah, actually sorry. go through the history of ChainGuard a sure. bit. I mean, as much as you want. So uh, you, the four founders, were working at uh, apologies, uh, Google and collaborating on projects like these that you mentioned, and from that stemmed. Chain God spin spinned off. Yeah, we we had all met at Google over the years. I was there for about nine years. Um, some of the folks had left, and they were at VMware and a couple other companies at the time. But we had all met originally at Google, working on kind of the space. And because of the open source community, we were working together that whole time anyway, even at different companies. Uh, but you know, we had been working on containers and vulnerability scans and you know SBOM style concepts from before anybody else was really paying attention to them. Uh, but back 2015, 2016, that kind of time frame, Kubernetes was first starting to get popular. And eventually enough folks started to catch on to the supply chain security space before the word really took off um, as attacks started to ramp up. And then finally, you know, the, the real kind of watershed moment there was the attack on solar winds at the end oh, yeah. of 2020 when everybody said, before that, it was, why are you bothering us with all these things? We don't care. We're just building our containers and we're happy. Leave us alone. To like, oh, wow, why haven't we been doing all of this before? This is terrible. Build systems are just not secure. And um, there was an executive order from the Biden administration <laughs> a few months later. Um, so the, the field kind of heated up very quickly. So it seemed like a great, great idea to try to start a company here. Oh, nice. I guess, I presume you guys wanted to work together too, right? Uh, there was a personal element to that. Okay. You've touched upon already and trying to, let's go back to the product the products actually uh, chain guard images can you explain what that, those are and uh yeah how do they work yeah so wolfie is the linux distribution right so coming back to the distro list section a little bit like there's only so far you can go when you're just repackaging packages from another linux distribution um you don't get any version you get you know fine-grained version selection you just get what debian has if debian doesn't patch something you can't patch it that kind of thing and so to really build something flexible and powerful and usable and where we, we were actually in full control of the vulnerability remediation cycle and the patches and everything, you go one level below and build our own Linux distro to, to really take advantage of that. And so that's what we did with Wolfie. So Wolfie is an open source Linux distribution. It's a whole modern tool set that we built. So every package that we put into the distro is just a YAML file. They're built in containers themselves. There's all the declarative hermetic tooling for adding new packages. And so, again, we're treating packages kind of like cattle. That's the idea here. We should be able to package anything. It should be very simple to maintain them. It shouldn't be a big burden on us to keep things up to date. Uh, the product that we're kind of built on top of that is our image catalog, okay. chain guard images. So Wolfie itself is free. You can download it. You can build all of that stuff that you want. But, um, now, the, the build versions that we have SLAs for, that we sign, we attest the provenance on, 
that we keep up to date for you and have guarantees about exactly how long it'll take to roll out patches and everything. That's the product. That's the chain guard images product. We offer different language build images, runtime images, even full application ones, stuff like Nginx and WordPress. Nice. If you, by the way, if anyone is interested in learning more about ChainGuard Images, ChainGuard has been kind enough to set up a uh, academy uh, that you can find at edu.chainguard.dev, uh, so edu.chainguard.dev, uh, uh, and I'll include that link in the show notes, by the way. Uh, that same academy, by the way, contains a link to the six-door course that the Linux Foundation uh, has put out. Um, can you give, please give me a one-liner, uh, now, so we're, we're now moving on to a sixth door. Uh, what Folkio or Folcio, I'm not sure how you pronounce that, Cosine and Record are? Yeah, so sixth door was a new approach of code signing and PKI designed for open source. Um, so it was the result of a bunch of work in meetings in the OpenSSF and other foundation groups to try to figure out why open source maintainers weren't signing code. Code signing, it's not new, it's been around for 30 plus years yeah. and you can buy code signing certificates and there's PGP, it's just nobody was really doing it. And folks that were, weren't doing it right and knew they weren't doing it right, but you know they tried really hard. And you know, we talked to tons of maintainers through different working group meetings to figure out where they were struggling. Yeah, exactly. So what was their answer? It was hard, it was really, really okay. hard. And uh, management is kind of the biggest one. Uh, I don't know if you ever set up PGP. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a mess. And you have to like create the keys and memorize all these passwords and then go to a party with your friends and have them sign your keys and you sign their keys and check your government ID yeah. and all that fun stuff. And we never really caught on and never really hit critical mass. Mm. And I'm not sure why I have guesses, but I'm, especially during the pandemic, we were doing a lot of this. Um, a lot of projects that had policies around meeting people in person to yeah. sign their keys that just weren't happening anymore. So they were looking for different solutions. And we started looking at other kind of similar efforts and it really had a lot of parallels to Let's Encrypt, um, the same kind of problem of Let's Encrypt. You can buy a code signing certificate on the mm -hmm. internet. Um, you send business letterhead if you're a company or some kind of ID or something to one of these certificate authorities, pay them a couple hundred bucks, they send you a certificate back. It's good for three years. If you lose it, you have to do it again. Yeah. Um, the process is pretty manual. Um, and Let's Encrypt uh, did that, kind of tackled that same problem for web PKI and browser certificates for websites. If you remember setting up a website before Let's Encrypt got popular, um, it was a pain if you'll find one of these sketchy certificate authority <laughs> folks that enter a credit card, they'd email you certificates, you had to figure out where to put it in your Apache you know, configuration directory, yeah. and if you got all of it right, the PEMs and the CRTs and all of that stuff, then eventually the browser it would show up and you'd get the little green shield or green check mark instead of the red X. And if you look at timelines and charts and everything, TLS adoption had kind of stalled out around 50% of the internet. Banks were doing it, you know, but you know, personal websites, it was just kind of too yeah. much over, much overhead. Uh, and Let's Encrypt came along and put up a public beneficiary, nonprofit, you know, How did they do it? Yeah. And they had to go build a bunch of standards. So they had to make new standards for automating domain ownership and eventually getting trusted by the browsers. Um, so it took them a lot of work, they eventually yeah. did. Um, and you know, they built this protocol called Acme where uh, when you want a certificate, they generate some random number and you have to put that in the DNS record or something like that to prove you control the domain. And then they give you a certificate good for just a couple of weeks instead of three years. So yeah, exactly. Renew it. And if something bad happens, you, know, it, you, you get a new one and it doesn't last forever. Uh, and then TLS adoption all of a sudden shot back up, and now it's at like 99% of the internet, and browsers won't even let you load on encrypted sites for the most part now. Um, so by making this free and automating it and making it easy, developers adopted it, right? They don't want to do insecure things. Yeah. They just don't want to waste time. 
And so the code signing problem with Logpad, there's no easy way to get certificates. You have to keep them without losing them. Same kind of problems with PGP. And so we thought at the same story, like, well, we could just build a, a free code signing certificate authority for developers. Okay. Um, except instead of having to make up new challenges and the whole ACME protocol and everything that's encrypted, it was already exists. It's called OpenID. And you know, mm -hmm. every time you get the little login with Google button on a website, that's doing that. That's proving who you are. That's proving you control an email address. And so we set up a certificate authority that's called FullCO. Um, okay. That's the free certificate authority that we run okay. um, for developers. Anybody can get a certificate in seconds. They're only good for 10 minutes. So every yeah. time you want to sign something, you can get a new one. You don't have to worry about losing them. You don't have to worry about leaking them. It's all in memory. Um, and you just get a new one every time you want to use it by logging into your email address. Um, then there's a couple other components of SigStore, but kind of when you put it all together, we get these tools now that can be SigStore aware and it just automatically gets your certificates for everything they want to do, whether it's signing Git commits or containers or Python binaries or you know, Java artifacts or anything without you having to manage those keys and anybody can verify it um, as well. Okay, so... Um... Okay, so put yourself now in the shoes of a the open SSL maintainer, and I I, I was thinking of an example because I interviewed a week ago uh, Miko Hippenin, a, a popular uh, cybersecurity uh, research analyst in FSecure from from Finland, and he told me that he did check actually the exact commit that introduced the vulnerability into Open SSL project, and it happened to be from one of the maintainers of the few, I think, like, I think that back in the day there were two, three, and it happened on New Year's Eve at 10 p.m. So you can feel yeah. the pressure of, yeah. you know, maybe solving for something and someone waiting for you for an important dinner, right? So put yourself now in that position. It's New, New Year's Eve at 10 p.m. and you need to commit something, but you're doing it with six store, right? Uh -huh. Or you're doing yeah. it the proper way. So how does that look like from if you were the open SSL maintainer pushing a new version of it? There's a couple different angles to this, right? There's the, the commit side, right? And you know, that we have a six-door tool called Git Sign that lets you sign Git commits. Um, and uh, you know that one. If, if you ever look at a Git commit, right, it shows you the time that it was committed. It shows you an email address in there. Uh, and most folks don't realize you can just type anything you want in there. That doesn't have to be your email. You can type, you know, I'm a dog. Like, yeah, literally anything. There's no validation. And then years later, when people look at it, they say, "Oh, look, it's this person's email address." And you know, there, there's no proof of that at any by any system really um, just with Git and there's been all these funny attacks where you know, people will publish kind of forged commits on GitHub and you know, GitHub will happily render that on your profile page because it looks like it was you and <laughs> all that so you can do some pretty funny stuff with that um, there is PGP for Git signing but again it's never been that terribly well adopted um, so you don't even know the, the right keys for that person anyway um, so if you start signing your Git commits as a maintainer like this, um, it makes it a lot easier to prevent impersonation attacks. It makes it um, a lot easier for folks to actually know if something came from you. It's on the Git commit side. Yeah. Um, and for something like OpenSSL, though, where they're doing releases, and um, it's not just the commits, right? Nobody's grabbing every single commit of OpenSSL. They're waiting every couple months for you know, a release to happen. Um, then you want, would want to sign those releases as well, or any package, um, because these don't just sit there on the website. Nobody goes to that website to download them. They get mirrored all over the world. And um, you know, when you're actually an end user of one of these things, you're not getting it directly from the maintainers. So you're just kind of essentially just finding it on the sidewalk, picking it up, and hoping it's the same thing that they <laughs> intended to release. Um, and so, kind of by signing that, if you know who the maintainers of OpenSSL are supposed to be, you have a lot more confidence when you grab these packages yeah. that they're correct and they came from the actual people that they were supposed to come from. 
Or if you got it from a Linux distribution, if you got it from a distribution you trust and that they got it from the person that they intended to. So you kind of walk that whole chain back. Nice. Um, okay, so we, we, as you said at the beginning, we are at KubeCon uh, North America in Detroit, Michigan. Well, you guys are here. What are your expectations of the event? Like, what well, are you announcing anything? Uh, well, I think something was announced this morning, if I'm not wrong, about Sigstore precisely. Yeah, so yesterday, um, the Sigstore general availability was announced, um, which is pretty awesome. It's a strange term for an open source project to have a general availability. Normally, there's Semver and kind of stuff like that, 1.0. Uh, but Sigstore is a little unique in that um, it's not just these kind of three or four or five open source projects that are repos on GitHub that you can clone and use. There's also a running service that the community maintains. Um, that's that kind of instance of the free certificate mm -hmm. um, authority. So if you grab the tools, you can run it and you get a certificate and that's you know, interacting with the web service that's run and has to be up. And that up until today has kind of been best effort by just a bunch of folks from the community trying to keep this up and running. Um, but over the last couple of months, we spent a lot of time establishing formal on-call rotations across multiple companies. So it's not even just one set of folks involved. Um, figure out how to you know, split the operational costs of all of this, making actual guarantees. So we have 99.5% uptime kind of promises that we're shooting for here. We had multiple months of kind of setting up monitoring and making sure we could do that. So now folks can build off of that service nice. as well, not just that, the code. Um, so that was kind of a big announcement for Sigstore this week. What about ChainGuard? Any, 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 have I missed anything from, from your portfolio that I, yeah, in my questions, did I miss anything? Um, well, we have, a, uh, we have a couple different products, actually. So there's kind of the Wolfie ChainGuard Images product. That's okay. the newest one. We announced that one about a month ago. Um, we have dashboards kind of live on the website showing the active counts of CVs and our images. You can see stuff as we find it and then fix it the next day, kind of comparing it to other um, containers you can just find on the internet. Uh, we have another product um, called ChainGuard Enforce, that one we actually launched first. Oh, okay. Um, that's kind of the, the CISO, you know, security executive level view of your supply chain. Um, you install kind of our agent or our tools into, you know, your production and Kubernetes environment, mm -hmm. into your CI system, into your source control system. And then using the SIGStore tooling, we can kind of correlate and actually build strong cryptographic guarantees of which code in prod came from where and which build system built it and which developers signed off on that and which dependencies actually went in. So when you're trying to do SBOMs or look for where Log4j is running or yeah. which version of OpenSSL is in prod, uh, we can actually prove that and we have a strong inventory of exactly what's running and how it got there. Oh, wow. Um, okay. If the build machine gets compromised, like what happened to you know, SolarWinds or something like that, we can see exactly every single container that came from that build system in that time period and apply policy that way on it. Oh, wow. That's um, fantastic. Yeah. So we, this week we also announced that uh, we finally got to release a case study from one of the customers that we've been working with. Can you describe one. it? Um, the case study? Yeah. Yeah. So this was a, a kind of partnership we worked on with Block um, uh, or Square, kind of what they're, they're formerly known as, um, formerly known as the, the kind of financial um, technology Pay company. Payment? Payment? Yeah. Oh, they changed names to Block? Uh, yeah. So oh, Square okay. changed names to Block sometime last year. It's kind of, they have a couple different uh, companies as part of that okay. now. Um, yeah, we worked with them over you know, months to get this installed across their fleet. Um, they had a system that they were kind of working on before. Because I'm figuring out that there's a massive fleet, right? Those are payment endpoints, right? So every, you know, every client of Square, I mean, has thousands of those, right? Yeah, and they're all connecting to Kubernetes, oh. massive Kubernetes clusters kind of running around the world. Yeah. Um, okay. So the details are all up on the website okay. showing how this works and how like the tooling is all built on SigStore. It helps them manage vulnerabilities and the kind of integrity piece. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'll link that uh, uh, case study in the show notes too. Wow, okay. 
uh, well then I don't have any more questions. I don't know if you wanted to cover anything else, but uh, I've got a perfect overview of what the portfolio looks like. And uh, other than that, uh, thanks for being here, Dan. Yeah, thanks. Nothing else. Uh, come check out Wolfie and Chainer and Linux and our images and let us know if you have any feedback. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll link the Chainer Academy and uh, the case study so that people get an overview of two of the two products. and. Uh, and yeah, I wish you the best. Yeah, thanks. Take care.